Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. This can be found on page 2 in your pew Bibles or page 5 in the large print pew Bibles. Genesis chapter 3, back when everything... It's a much simpler time. There was only one command. All you have to do is follow that one. And yet, as we'll see, even the one is a bit much to ask. But before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that you would help us to hear your word. Pray that you would help us to understand. Pray that you would help us to live your word. That we would know what it means to have life with you. Instead of continually running from you or hiding from you. We pray that you would help us to trust you in everything. I pray that you would help us to have a desire for you above everything else. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Genesis chapter 3, the situation, the stage has been set. The situation is there are two people, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, And there are some trees. They can eat from all of it except from the one. And then chapter 3 begins. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. Not true, by the way. Verse 4. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. For the sake of time, we will stop there. Although, he continues with the curses to both man and woman alike. Turning to Mark 7. Starting in verse 14. It should be found on page 818 in your Pew Bibles or 1568 in large print. It says again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have been looking at the book of James recently. We are still in chapter 1. And one of the things we've already discovered in James chapter 1 is that James has told us to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And so we have seen that even when we are facing external circumstances that we would rather not face, We say we can still have joy in this because we know that as we persevere, as we continue to trust God through it all, we have a closer relationship with him and we find our faith strengthening as we exercise those muscles. And so, we might start thinking to ourselves, well then, anytime we face anything, we could say, well, this this is what God is doing to test me. This is what God is doing to make me stronger. For example, what about temptation? If I'm tempted to do something wrong, maybe that's God seeing if I'm strong enough to handle the temptation. What do you think? That kind of makes sense, but it doesn't. And James is talking to people who could very likely come to that conclusion. And say, you know, when I'm tempted, this must be God who's seeing if I'm now strong enough to handle this on my own. And James says, no, no, a thousand times no. (laughs) Verse 13, he says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person 
is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. There's a lot in this passage that takes us right back to the beginning of creation, for the way that things are supposed to be. We didn't read this morning, but before Adam and Eve have the situation where they're hiding from God, we have a situation where they're walking with God. They have fellowship and communion with him on a regular basis. They have life with him. And things are good. But it doesn't stay that way. But that is still what God wants for his people. That is what he wants for us. And that is one of the things that once we get that, we can understand why it is that God wouldn't tempt us to turn away from him. He always is wanting good things for us, and therefore he's always wanting us to trust him. Not to turn away from him. Not to see if we can do it on our own, without him. It's never to do anything without him. Just on our own. But always with him. And here's the thing we find. Temptation. We all know what it's like to be tempted. And we can think of, you know, some rather uh, common and somewhat silly examples. Lighter examples, anyway. When someone offers you the delicious piece of pie and you've already had one, you say, well, I don't know if I should, but it's right there and it smells so good and you see it. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what your particular weakness is when it comes to food. It seems like we all have something where, I don't know if I can say no to that. If it's right there. But we don't just face temptations like this. But we face them in a spiritual sense, in a much more serious sense, all the time. And we might want to say that God is behind it, but we can't do that. The reason why we might want to say that God is behind it, by the way, is because now that we, you know, if you're a Christian, or if you've been around church, you start trying to uh, you know, see God in more ways, which is good. You also start trying to talk about him in ways that may not be true, just convenient. Here's what I mean by that. You notice when Adam and Eve first get questioned about what is this you've done, what does Adam say? They say, you're right, I admit it, I messed up. No, he does not. No, he... (laughs) It was, he immediately starts pointing the finger... To Eve. It's the woman's fault. Right? How much do we have the same, <laughs> the same temptation on our own? Every time we, are, we find a situation, it's, it's not my fault. It's not me. I would do everything perfectly all the time if it were just me. No. How easily we deceive ourselves. I always want to point at somebody else. It's, they're the ones that made me do it. But here's what I want you to see, is Adam, pretty clever guy. He's not just pointing at Eve and saying, well, it's all her fault. 
Do you notice what he does? He doesn't say it's the woman, it's the woman you gave me. It's not just her fault, it's also God's fault now. If you hadn't given me this woman, then she wouldn't have tempted me, and then I wouldn't have gone into sin. I would have been perfect, except it's her fault, and therefore it's your fault. Wow. That's pretty bold. (laughs) And yet we all come from him. And we all have it right in here. The situation that says, I would, I would get it right. How many of us have read that passage of Adam and Eve and you see the fruit in the one tree and you're thinking, how could they have done that? If I'd been there, I would have gotten it right. Anybody ever think that? I can promise you, every single one of us would have done the same thing. And I can prove it. All you have to do is catalog your next 24 hours. We will all turn away from God and do something, do something where we say, I know better. And where we find ourselves even in the situation trying to rationalize it, when we realize, oh, okay, we're getting into something wrong. Well, it's not really my fault. I would get it right on my own. By the way, the other side of this is Eve. She doesn't point it back to Adam. She doesn't point back to God. What does she say? To paraphrase, she says, the devil made me do it. (laughs) Right? And those are kind of our two options. When facing temptation, when facing anything where we fall, three options, I suppose, we can take it on ourselves, we can say, I messed up. I did what I knew I shouldn't do. Or, we can start shooting the blame everywhere else. It's God that's doing it to me. Or it's the devil that's making me do it. And James looks at all of that and says, no. And God looks at all of that and says, no. You notice when when God questions Adam and he says, you know, it's the woman you gave me. What does he do? He goes and questions the woman. And she says, well, it's the serpent. The devil made me do it. And then God goes to the serpent and says, here's your curse. But he doesn't leave out Adam and Eve. In fact, he comes back to each of them individually. In other words, no matter what other pressures you may be facing, no matter what other uh, situations you may be in, he says to Adam and he says to Eve, he says to all of us, you are responsible for you. And that is something we never want to hear. But it's true. You are responsible for you, no matter what else is going on. I cannot tell you the number of times in our own family One of my kids will be treating another one as they well know they shouldn't. And when... I'm not pointing fingers directly at any one of them. My little microcosm of the whole world we have at our house. It plays out the same way with my kids as it does with every single one of us. But how many times has happened... The one only treating ones they know they shouldn't. And when reminded, you know you shouldn't treat them that way. Nine times out of ten, the immediate response is, but they were doing this to me. (laughs) Right? They started. They're the ones who, they did it to me first. Or it was, if they hadn't been doing this to me, of course I would have treated them well. But because they did that, then I had to 
No. And of course, the answer always is, you are responsible for you. That's what James says. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And of course, why would he? If what he wants for us is life together with him, why would he put something before us and say, maybe you should go this way. Maybe you should go away from me. What do you think? No. That is counter to the nature of God entirely. That is not what he gives us. He does not give us temptation. So we don't put the blame there. But here's where we put the blame. Right back on ourselves. It says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. That's where it comes from. It comes from our own hearts that the Bible tells us are deceitfully wicked. You know the message of our culture, by the way, right? The message of our culture, which has been growing for years, which is follow your heart, right? You will hear that everywhere in our culture. Follow your heart. Because if you are following your heart and being true to yourself, then you can do no wrong. The Bible says the opposite. The Bible says if you follow your heart, you are destined for destruction and death. In fact, that's what it says here. It says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Here's the thing. We bring it on ourselves. We desire something. We desire something. And here's the other thing. What we desire, our desires are not all evil in and of themselves. But our desires have become evil. Especially when we put them above God. Was it wrong for Adam and Eve to want to eat fruit? No. God gave them a desire to eat fruit. But when they ate that fruit, they weren't desiring fruit. They were desiring something more than God. There's the difference. Anytime we're desiring something more than God, then we say, I would rather have this than have you. That is why our desires lead to sin, and that is why our our sin leads to death. Because anything that takes us away from God, who is the source of all life, can lead nowhere other than death. Does that make sense? And so when we have good, God-given desires for food or for pleasure or for safety or for uh, sexual fulfillment, when we take these good desires that God has given us and told us these are how those are to be used and exercised, and we take any one of those and we put them up in place of God, above God, we say, I would rather have this than to have you, it will lead us, as we follow our heart, straight to sin and to death. This is why James says, don't be deceived. Because everything inside of us says, oh, that's the way to go. Follow your heart. Do what you feel like doing. Go after the things that you crave. And don't let anyone or anything get in your way. And you'll be happy. James says, don't be deceived. 
Jesus, we just read in Mark 7, tells us what comes from the heart. This is from within, out of a person's heart, the evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. It's not a very pretty picture. As long as we are following our hearts, that's where we'll go. Oh, we'll justify it to ourselves. We'll make it not seem like it's that bad. We'll make it seem like we're not actually doing those things. We'll spin it. And if it ever does look like one of those things, we'll be sure to find somebody else to blame. There are plenty of people around to blame. But it's pretty clear. That's where our hearts are. And that leads away from God and only to death. I mentioned the desire, by the way, uh, that Adam and Eve had for not just the fruit, but there's something else there. Remember that it was Eve who said she saw that the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom? That's a pretty good desire, right? Shouldn't we desire wisdom? That's pretty much what the whole book of James is about. It's finding this godly wisdom. Is it wrong for Eve to want wisdom? No. In fact, when Solomon is asked by God what he wants, he says, ask for anything, I'll give it to you. Solomon says, I want wisdom. And basically God says, well done. That's exactly the right thing to ask for. But what Eve did is not that she, it's not that she wanted wisdom and so asked God to give her wisdom. But she said, I have a desire for wisdom and I'm going to try to get it without God. And that's where we end up every time. But here's the good news. <laughs> We've had quite a few verses now on the bad news. We've understood, hopefully, the wickedness of our own hearts. It says in verse 16, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What is it that God gives us if he's not giving us the temptation? The temptations are all around. It's our own desires that lead us there. What does God give us? Hmm. This is every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift. What God gives us is the good and the gifts that enable the good life. And by the way, as soon as I say the words, the good life, there should be a, some sort of a mental picture that pops up as to what the good life is. And I will tell you right now that if when you picture what the good life is, if it has anything to do with money or pleasure or comfort or positions of power, it is, that is just further evidence of the wickedness of our hearts. Because the good life that God is talking about has none of those things inherently involved with it. Oh, they may be there. They may not be there. It's almost irrelevant. We saw last week that money, for example, is one of those areas where we say, if God is blessing a person, then they have lots of money. 
And so we look at someone who has lots of money and say, there, that is someone who's been blessed by God. And we look at somebody who has no money and say, oh, they have no money, they must not be blessed by God. And so we create these various levels in society, in our churches. And James says, no. The one who has no money should remember who he is in Christ. And the one who has lots of money should remember who he really is. And everybody is even at the foot of the cross. Money is irrelevant. What is relevant? Where is the, where is the blessing? It says, but blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the one who keeps on walking with God no matter what comes. This is the good life. That walking with God as Adam and Eve did before the fall. How do we do that? Well, we look to the gifts that God has given because we know that we don't have it in ourselves. We can't do it. Not on our own. And so, where do we look? Look to the promises of God that he's given throughout the Bible. We look at the ways that the whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus as the one who will come and do it for us. We read as far as verse uh, 15 this morning in Genesis 3. So make sure to get in there. One of the uh, mm-hmm. aspects of the curse. Where God says uh, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is what has been called uh, the first gospel. It's a big, long Latin name, I'll spare you. But the first gospel, this is where we see that God is promising to do for the people what they couldn't do for themselves, that he would be providing the way back. And we see that again and again. We just read uh, for the children's sermon the story of Abraham and Isaac. And when Isaac and Abraham are up there on the mountain, God says, or Abraham tells Isaac, God will provide. And sure enough, he does. And so rather than Abraham offering his son, God offers his son for us. He is the one who provides. These are the gifts that he gives. You talk about a good and perfect gift. You see, at just the right time, when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It's not just that he died. He died for the ungodly. And until we understand that we are the ungodly, until we understand that every inclination of our heart is desperately wicked, that we don't understand that God died, uh, Jesus died for us. But once we do, we understand what a good and perfect gift that was. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just that he died, but he also rose again, showing his victory over death, and that even the worst parts of the curse have now been reversed. That in Jesus, there's a way to life again. And it doesn't stop there. But he also gives us the Holy Spirit. And when we have the Holy Spirit, we see that he gives us a new heart. And so it's not a matter of following your heart. It's a matter of following his heart. The new one that he gives us, that wants the things that he wants, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you understand what that means? It doesn't mean hunger and thirst for the things you've always hungered and thirsted for, and if you uh, try hard to get those, you'll find life. No, you try to get those, you'll get death and nothing but. But it also doesn't say, 
Well, you should still want them and want them very strongly, and you should do whatever you can to fight against that. No. So what you should do is you should start focusing on the things that you want more than that. If you've ever tried to resist temptation, we'll go back to the pie example. If you ever have a piece of pie laid before you and you say, you know, I really want to eat that pie. I know I shouldn't, but I really want to. And you decide that what you're going to do is you're going to sit it there on the table in front of you and you're just going to stare it down until you've decided not to eat it. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) You know the best thing to do, right? You get up and you walk out of the room. (laughs) And you go find something that that you like more than the pie. Again, silly example. I heard a, a better one. It may help us out here. About uh, a master with a dog. And the dog has the piece of meat on the floor right there in front of it. And the master of the dog says, tells him not to eat the meat. And the dog doesn't look at the meat, but looks at the master and stays perfectly still and doesn't touch it. Why doesn't he look at the meat? Because if he looks at the meat, he'll want the meat and forget the master. But if he looks at the master, he'll want the master and forget the meat. Every good and perfect gift is from above. God gives us what we need in situations of temptation. He doesn't give the temptation. He gives us what we need in the temptation. And what we need, most of all, is him. And he gives us his spirit. And he gives us his instructions and his warnings and his promises he gives us a new heart. He says, look to me, and I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Don't try to stand against the temptation in your own strength. You'll fail. Look to me. Look to me. Look to me. Paul reminds us that no temptation has seized us except what is common to mankind. We're all there with Adam and Eve. We're all there with each other. We've all been there. This is nothing where I can say, well, I've got it right, and you guys, no. (laughs) We are all there, all the time, facing temptation, temptation, temptation. There's no temptation seized you except what is common to mankind. But, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What is the way out? Look to him. We've talked before how there's a big difference between the way that uh, King Saul and King David handled sin in their lives. Saul, when he was confronted of his sin, kind of did the same thing that Adam and Eve did. Started trying to explain why it wasn't really wrong. David, on the other hand, said, create in me a new heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The difference between, faith, between falling into sin and turning away from God or turning back to him and saying, do to me what I can't do. That's where we find our only hope. That is where we find the forgiveness and the grace and the spirit that moves us forward that we would know the good life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.